Hey, welcome uh, to our series uh, called Heaven. Um, if you're wondering why I don't sound normal, it's because I'm not. Um, it, <laughs> we, that's not how I meant that. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, my, my wife this morning, Stephanie, uh, she's on sabbatical, and she uh, said to me, I think I'm going to make a video compilation of all the things that you say weird that you don't weir- realize how weird it is, <laughs> but we all realize how weird it is. Anyways, um, so yesterday, uh, the um, tricker, uh, trick, my goodness, Halloween hike uh, started at five or four, and by five, my voice was gone. And so uh, it's just because I was loving on everyone is the reason that I can't talk today. Uh, Unfortunately, though, this means the recording of this message will always be with me sounding super weird. Um, But anyways, so this is as loud as I'm going to talk, but hopefully it's not too hard to listen to because we have a lot to cover today um, because we're wrapping up the series called Heaven, um, and what we are doing today is a QA and a or really a question and response because I don't feel like um, I know all of the answers. And so I feel more comfortable calling it a question and response. And so essentially for the last three weeks, I've invited you all to send questions in, and a couple of you did, and they were really good questions that I would, honestly, I've never thought of before, um, for the most part, and I thought there were some good perspectives, and I learned some things by trying to come up with um, hopefully satisfactory answers. Now, there are some questions in here that could probably last three entire Sundays worth of content, and so there, that's, again, why this is going to be more of a response, because I can't quite cover everything, but Hopefully there's some questions in here that you've wondered, that you've asked, or that will make you think and say, wow, I, I, you know, I never thought about that. And, and hopefully at the end, you'll start to get to know a little bit better and clearer picture of this thing that we've been covering for the last three weeks on the topic of heaven. Okay, so we're going to jump in with an easy softball question, uh, and that is uh, the question, where is hell? Thought that was a good place to start. Um, And the obvious answer to that question, as uh, Mark said in the uh, funny video there, is, well, where the dogs are. Um, That is, or excuse me, where the cats are. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, it's where the cats are. Um, Okay. I, I have, we have cats now. We have barn cats, though, so they, like, come in. Yeah, anyways, this is a whole other thing. Got to stay on topic. Okay, it's where the dogs are, okay? Um, all right, so cats are. Gosh, dang it. What is wrong with me? It's where, it's where the cats are. Okay, <laughs> don't question me. Okay, um, okay, where is hell? Um, as far as the physical space or location of hell, I don't know. Okay, and there really isn't any biblical precedence for it. Uh, hell is a fairly actually obscure topic in the biblical narrative, though for some reason we have decided that we know what hell is really precisely enough that we can even paint it. And because we can paint it then, and there's scary images of hell and stuff, then we get this, I think, misconception of what hell is. And essentially the bottom line is hell is where God is most absent. God is most absent. Um, so if, as we talked about last week, or I think the week before, um, if you go through life and you want to be with God, God wants to be with you. And if you go through life and you want to live in your mind and your heart apart from God, God will honor that choice and you will live apart from him. And apart from him is a very, very scary scary place. C.S. Lewis put it this way um, in his book, The Great Divorce, which is one of the resources I've highlighted for the last couple weeks as a phenomenal read to really start to um, grasp through C.S. Lewis's amazing fantasy uh, writing, a kind of a structure uh, understanding of heaven and hell. And here's what C.S. Lewis said. He said, there are only two kinds of people in the end. 
Those who say to God, thy will be done, your will be done, God, and those whom God says in the end, your will be done. God's looking at you and says, you want to have your free will. You want to make the decisions for your own life. I honor that. Your will be done. And to me, that's a very scary thing. We talked about the whole parent and teenager thing. Like that's the point when a parent looks at the teenager and says, hey, it's your decision, which then the teenager should step back and say, okay, I got to think about this because if mom and dad are okay with this, it's either a painful lesson that I'm about to learn or it really is okay, right? And that is one of those moments where God says, I honor your choice to not exist with me. And that is a bad place to be. Um, All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there would be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, the door will be opened to them. In other words, quoting Jesus, okay? Now, here's the thing. We've talked about this before. It was a couple of years ago, um, but we've used this kind of uh, Venn diagram, if you will, of an understanding of heaven and hell, right? Oh, gosh, this is not a good black marker. Oh, that's not good. Um, I forgot my markers at home, so I borrowed some from the uh, library, and it wasn't a very good marker. Let's try blue. Hopefully, blue works. Here we go. Yes! Blue for the win. Okay, hopefully you guys can see that, right? So we've talked about this idea that heaven and you have earth, and there's these points at which heaven and earth can overlap and intersect, okay? And a lot of times through the biblical story, that's going to be like the tent of meeting or a temple, or then in, as Christians, we believe Jesus. That's where that heaven and earth overlap in the person of Jesus. And we've talked a lot about this, so I don't want to go into great detail, but what I do want to point out with hell is that hell can be very present on earth. We even have a saying for it. We call it Hell on earth, yeah, exactly. And so pink is going to denote hell on earth. That the earth is a fallen place, and it is filled with that which is opposed to God, that which is apart from God. And those um, that uh, have decided to not live as God intended, okay? So essentially, right, because God set this up and said, hey, humanity, each and every one of you in this room, you are to rule this earth, And we use tools not of God to rule sometimes. For example, we use death to rule each other sometimes. And it creates a hell on earth. We're going to talk about this in a little bit. But right now, I mean, there's multiple wars going on with great uh, loss of human life. And what's happening? People are using death to rule and and to gain power over other human beings. Hell on earth is when there is an absence of love, of patience, of kindness, of forgiveness, of generosity, and so on. And you see that in the world. You'll see that in your relationships too, right? There are some relationships that you maybe never have said it this way, but you've thought it. Certainly, you thought to yourself, wow, this relationship is borderline hell, right? Why? Because there is an absence of that which is God. We really want to fixate on a place. Give me a place. I want to know how to stay out of that place. It's way more relational than that. It is not about a place-centric, just like heaven is not a place-centric, right? It's a relationship-centric, okay? And I've said this before to you, and I'll remind you of it again, because I think it is such a powerful takeaway, is the reality that we kind of like hell, okay? We kind of like it, There is parts of all of us, including myself, that like to hold on to anger, that like to be bitter towards one another, that like to wallow in our shame, that like pity and jealousy, 
right? We'd like to judge other people. We tell other people to do things that we may not always do ourselves. We use death as a tool of power and protection. Um, we lie, we steal, we take money that may not always be ours. We're lured by lust for others. We fight to protect our rights and our freedoms, even if it means costing others their rights and freedoms. We like to do things that cause us to be accepted, even if it's at the detriment to our own values or morality, right? We consider ourselves superior. We look down our noses at our neighbors. Uh, we avoid apologizing when we hurt others. Those are characteristics of hell. And you imagine all of those things and more and worse things all in a space where people reside, it would be terrible, it would be terrible. And in C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, he paints a bit of that picture of the lostness of the absence of God. Now, here's the thing, though, that you have to keep in mind, and this is where you start to bridge into theology a little bit, and so you're wondering, you know, what's theology? I knew, like, even when I, like, felt this call to ministry, I was like, what's theology? Like, define that. The best way I know how to define theology is, well, technically, it's the understanding or study of God. It's kind of like a Sudoku puzzle, Anybody ever play Sudokus? Like if a one goes here in the puzzle, the one can't go here. And it's a bit of a making sure that the right pieces go in the right place so the puzzle works out every time. And, and that's the same thing with theology. The, the enemy or the adversary or the, the function of hell cannot create. So if there is a space where you reside apart from God, God had still a hand in its creation. Okay, because it can only be made possible by one that can create. And the only one that can create in Christian theology is God. Okay? And so God is, in a very distant way, though present way, and you can read this in the Psalms, God is present even in hell. However, it is to such a degree that it is lawlessness and chaos and disaster and pain and suffering and the burning and gnashing of teeth and darkness, all of those things that elicit those painful feelings in our lives. That's what hell is. So I thought I'd just start off with a really positive note, positive question. So just really get us started, okay? Um, so hopefully that gives you a little bit of a sense of, I don't know where hell is, but it is the absence of God. And to me, that is scary enough as a Christian, okay? All right, now we're gonna jump into another question. Um, the next question uh, is a really good one. In Genesis, when God created everything and everything was good, how was a serpent, even in the Garden of Eden, and allowed to trick Adam and Eve if everything was good? Okay, because we talked about, right, in Eden, there's this idea that we are together, right? Heaven and earth are together. It's paradise. It's working well, okay? It's good. And so then there's this serpent that comes along and kind of ruins it all, um, and so how is that even allowed? And this gets into this whole conversation, if you've ever taken a theological uh, class or philosophical class, the problem of evil. Where does evil come from? And so this next part might mm, lead you to more questions, okay? And so you could always send me an email, um, but it's going to upend, I think, some of our preconceived notions around um, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and how God created the world to exist, okay? Um, I want to introduce you to the word uh, in the Hebrew, um, in Hebrew for good, right? Because when God created, right, he created and then he said it was good, and he said it was good, and he said it was good, and he said it was good, right? Okay, that, that word is tov, or tov, tov, yeah, I said it right. What am I questioning myself? Tov, okay. 
Um, that's that word right there, okay? And it shows up a lot in Genesis 1, right? Because it is good. The definition of this word, if you take, there's the Hebrew version of it, and you guys are already, I remember, you don't read it left to right, you read right to left in Hebrew. So the start of the word is on your right, and you work to your left. Trust me, when you make slides in Hebrew, it's really hard because it, left, it upside downs everything in the slide. <laughs> so it's really hard to type these slides up because it, you have to think backwards um, versus our left to right reading. Anyways, fun fact for you. Um, so in Genesis 1, it's to be good or to be better, to be in a state of having proper characteristics or performing an expected function, okay? What we hear when we hear that the garden was good, we hear the garden was perfect, that is not what God said. If God said perfect, he would have used, or there would have been different words associated with this because God does declare that some things are perfect. Or in your English versions, if you grew up in Bible, you're gonna hear the word blameless, okay? Without blame. He didn't, that, that was not the phrasing used in Genesis one and two, but it is that this thing that has been created is functioning as it is expected, okay? But it does not mean it is perfect. And one of the reasons that we know that is because God comes along in Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 28, and says to humanity, says to each and every one of you, not just to me, but to all of us. And he says, he gives us a command. He said, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, fill the earth, next slide, yeah, and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and every other living creature that moves on the ground. <clears throat> Why would you need to subdue something that isn't going to push back. Why would you need to subdue something that was harmoniously living with you? You need to subdue it because without a ruler and without someone coming in, the other way to say subdue in the, the Hebrew that's used there is to dominate. That's extreme, We've, that's, that feels extreme, right? But God said, without your rulership, human beings, that will lead to chaos. And so therefore I command you to rule, to dominate the earth, subdue it and bring order out of chaos. Cause that's a big theme in Genesis one and two is bringing order out of chaos because without that chaos will prevail. Without that, you may find that things push back. And throughout the biblical narrative, throughout the biblical story, you'll see this in images of the uh, snakes, scorpions, lions, and even dragons. This idea that there are creatures that will push back against your leadership. And let's be honest, if you ever find yourself in a position in a room with a snake, how does that feel? Do you feel like that snake may push back on your leadership? Do you feel a snake re re uh, respects your rule on earth? Have you ever tried to tell a snake, excuse me, I'm in charge here? <laughs> and that snake's gonna be like, I'm gonna bite you now, right? Right, that that creation will push back. And God created it knowing that that was possible. The decision that humanity had was whether or not to rule over it. And the imagery that the point that's trying to get across here is humanity chose not to rule over the snake, but instead to be ruled by it because humanity thought they were wise enough to make a decision that were in contrary to God's wisdom and God's command. And we do this all the time, don't we? We think, oh no, I got this figured out and then we get hurt, right? 
I'm gonna drive without a seatbelt, I don't need that. Until you see enough people get hurt and you're like, you know what, I'm gonna wear my seatbelt now, right? We live like this all the time where we think we're wiser. If God wanted to say this place was perfect, he would have used this word, to mime, to mime. And it's used in Deuteronomy 32, for example, verse four, without defect, blameless, or perfect. But that's not what he says. That's not what he says. Instead, God talks about, especially through his prophets, like Isaiah, he says there will come a time. He says this a lot, but Isaiah 11 is a verse that you could, or a chapter that you could look up, where Isaiah says there will be a time when a wolf will lie with a lamb. In other words, that they can hang out together and not hurt each other. Where a leopard can hang out with a kid, where a calf and a lion can coexist, where a child shall lead them, where a child can put their hand over the den of an adder or a snake, a poisonous snake, and that child will be okay because the world will exist in such harmony. And that is called new creation. Revelations talked about this in, in uh, Revelations 21, where there is a new heaven and a new earth and death will be no more. And so essentially, our trajectory is not just, hey, let's all, again, get out of here so we can all get here. It's so that God can restore all of creation. Heaven is a creation, just like earth is a creation. And I realize that's not a trajectory you were probably raised to think about in biblical terms, but that's the direction we're going. That's the direction God is calling us to go, is where we're making something new. We're restoring what is broken. We are ruling from a place of love and compassion where all things, all creatures that are otherwise opposed can exist in reality in peace and harmony together. And I think if you dig deep, there is a call in our hearts. I think it's the image of God that that is the desire. But God said, in the meantime, I will rule with you if you so choose to rule with me. And the problem is that humanity doesn't necessarily do that. So the point being, hey, why is there a snake? Well, because there probably just wasn't a snake. There were other creatures that needed to be ruled over just as God created there to be rulership and leadership in heaven as well. And when we fail at that, that's where problems start to begin. But that was not necessarily a promise from the beginning. There was going to be work involved. And let's be honest, I don't know about you, but if I got to heaven and I just had to sit on the couch all day, you know, I'd get pretty bored. I'm okay with a little bit of effort, right? I'm okay with a little bit of work. That feels good. There's something, I don't know, just right about working hard and kind of ruling and bringing order out of chaos in this world, okay? All right, hopefully a little bit of an easier question um, is the next question here, because I gotta keep moving. Um, when God made the heavens and the earth, where does outer space fit into that? Um, yeah, so we, we talked about that a little bit. Um, the thing I'm gonna say while I uh, erase this is um, be careful, be careful, be careful. We talked about this at the very beginning. Um, what was it? Uh, chronological snubbery. Um, you're like, what now? Um, we talked about this in the very uh, first episode of this series, okay? And that we have this temptation all the time to take our 21st century view of the world and, and overlay it onto the biblical story, which is not written in 21st century terms, okay? It was not written with an understanding of the world of 21st century. If God wanted that to happen, he would have done it with us, but he can still get his message through, even through a generation that was as much older than we are. And if you remember um, how people back then saw the world, um, there was 
land, right? And there below the land was what? Does anybody remember? Water, yes, there was water below because if you dig down into the ground, you guys think like, oh, because there's layers of the earth and there's the cross and there's the mantle and there's the core and the earth and I am so smart. Stop it. If you are a individual living thousands of years ago and you dig down far enough, what do you hit? Water, yes. And so in their minds, water was below. And if you look up and you stare up long enough, sooner or later, something's gonna come down and that's called what? Otter, yes, in the form of rain. And so obviously there's water up there because it's blue. Guys, it's blue. And you're like, yeah, that's actually true. It's blue because there is moisture in the sky and that's why it turns it's blue and all that stuff. But in their minds, there must be floodgates, right? There's giant heavenly gates up there that hold back giant pools of water. And then every so often when God feels like it, he opens those gates and they all come splashing down, right? And that's why in the Noah story, there's water from the deep and there's water from above because in their minds, that's where the water is because they don't think like you and I think. And that's not because they're less than us. It's because they lived at a different time than us. Because I'm guessing 2,000 years from now, somebody's gonna look at you and be like, oh my gosh, can you believe they took their pictures with their phones? Oh, unbelievable. Social media, how uh, barbarian. Okay. <clears throat> so um, <clears throat> so they believe that there was a dome right, that held back the waters, and up there there was waters, and so in their minds there was like three heavens, right, we talked about that in Genesis 1, if you're like, three heavens, what are you talking about? Go back and watch the series, but in, there was the um, atmospheric heaven where birds reside, these are my birds, okay, they're not healthy birds, but they're birds, Um, and then above that dome there were the astrological aspects of the world, there were stars, right, There was moon, there was sun, there was that kind of thing. And then God always resided in the highest of heavens. And you read that in the Psalms and the songs of, in Psalms and, and uh, throughout the Old Testament, that God resides, in, and even in the New Testament, actually, um, that God resides in the highest of heavens. So where is space? Space is this in-between space. But again, they didn't realize. I mean, let's be honest. A hundred years ago, we did not realize how big our universe is. And, and you can go watch the series I did called, I think it was Big God. Is that right? I think so. Yeah, Big God. And we talked about how massive our universe is. It is just incomprehensible, okay? And so they didn't conceptualize that. And they didn't see the stars and the sun the same way that we do. And that's okay. But they used it to teach us some principles of life that are still so true today. And so we want to respect that. But understand is if you go at it entirely with this idea of, okay, well, how do germs and viruses fit in? They're not gonna talk about it because they didn't know about it. And if God would have come to them and said, hey, I need you to write some verses about germs and, and viruses, how would they have even written? It would not have been possible, okay? A good resource for this is The Lost World of Genesis. Um, and uh, it's a, a book and I'll show it up at the end. Uh, but Genesis 1 and 2 is, uh, has a lot of different purposes. But one of the purposes is relationship. One of the purposes is function, how the world's supposed to work together, um, and purpose. It's not, this is going to freak some of you out, just breathe through it, okay? It is not a story that talks exactly about creation. And this is how things 
gosh darn it, this is how it was. If you read it and you try to twist it and churn it to make it match evolution or something like that, it is not going to work because that's not how they wrote. Don't expect someone, don't go in there with your chronological snubbery and expect someone who lived thousands of years ago to meet Darwin, okay? It's just not going to work. So stop it. Read it how they intended it, and you will find it is an exceptionally beautiful, powerful, and there are so many lessons to be taken away from Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and it really sets the foundation for the entire biblical story and our relationship with God, okay? Holy cow, I'm just like, gotta keep going. Um, okay, uh, number three. Oh, yes, so glad somebody asked this because other people asked me this too, okay. Um, I don't know why I'm erasing this. I don't know if I have anything else to write on the board. Maybe I'll just write a stick figure or something a little later to fill it in. Okay. Um, will you be addressing the current situation in Israel? I've seen a lot of videos stating how this is all in the Bible and we are nearing the second coming of Christ. I wasn't planning on it, but sure, we'll take a stab at it. Because I was asked about it um, from other people as well. Okay. Um, so... Uh, is this a sign and all the chaos in, in Israel and Palestine and Gaza in the middle, all of that a sign of, of the end times? Um, it is exceptionally uh, hot there right now. Um, unfortunately, it has been hot there for a very long period of time. This has just reached an immense level in a period of time. But if you ever go to Israel, you will find out very quickly, this is not a very peaceful place. Okay, I learned pain, that was one of my biggest takeaways from spending two weeks in Israel. I learned just as much I did about the Bible as I learned about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and became very, very aware and educated and realized how absolutely uneducated I was. Um, so anyways, uh, let's see, um, what I was gonna read uh, in Matthew, okay? Is this a sign of the end times, okay? I'm just gonna quote Jesus here and what he had to say about this whole thing. Um, he said in Matthew chapter 24, uh, looking at verse 36 through 39, he said, I think I actually have it, yes, but about that day or hour in regards to the end times, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son of God, but only the Father, Facebook, TikTok, and your favorite podcast or radio station. <laughs> Sorry, I got carried away. We'll fix it. Let's actually go to the Bible. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> Okay, let me tell you something. Jesus is saying he doesn't even know when the end times comes. So for a very long time as a pastor, for over a decade now, I've been looking at a lot of Christians that I'm like, you know, but Jesus doesn't know? Wow, that's impressive. Isn't it? I just, I just want to lay down and worship them. Okay, that was cynical. Um, <clears throat> Yes, only the Father knows when the end times will be, when God, Jesus returns. And he goes on, he even like adds to it, he says, for the coming of the Son of Man will just be like the days of Noah. Noah. For as those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving uh, in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. In other words, nobody knew it was coming. Nobody knew. And they were living their lives and moving forward as if they didn't know. And they didn't understand until the flood came. And that's how it will be for the coming of the Son of Man. And so then he gives this parable. And this is a parable he mirrors in so many different passages in regards to, hey, how do we look at the future? And he says, therefore, be on alert. 
For you do not know which day the Lord is coming. Be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been alert and he would have not allowed them to break into the house. For this reason, you must be ready as well for the son of man is coming in an hour when you do not think he will. Okay, so if you think he will, my guess is he's not. I'm just taking Jesus at his word, okay? You can do what you want to do. I wouldn't, but essentially his point is the only thing you should be worried about is living like Jesus is coming tomorrow. Because let's be honest, we don't live that way. We live as if we have tomorrow. That's why we put off having difficult conversations with each other. That's why we put off probably saying the nice thing and doing the right thing to other people because we think we still have tomorrow. But if you knew that tomorrow was your last day and after that day there would be judgment and people would be separated between being with God and being apart from God, I think you would probably live the next few hours differently. I think you would go to lunch and do lunch a little differently probably. You'd probably pray over your food for starters, right? Um, We would live differently, wouldn't we? And Jesus is saying, stop worrying about the end and start worrying about how you're living now and assume that you need to be ready at any given moment. And that's just our lives, our coworkers, our families, we would all live different lives if that's what how we lived, wouldn't we? And that's what Jesus is trying to convict us to doing. It would change a lot, right? I think there would be a lot of people that would continue to fight and would continue to harm each other, okay? And God's gonna say, you go keep doing this, just not with me. But for the most part, I think there would be a good number of us that would say, hey, we're gonna live differently. And so just know, hey, we don't know, but we need to live as though it's tomorrow. That's his point. Um, Or at least get better at doing that, okay? Um... Yes. Oh man, I was going to say more on that, but I kind of, that's like a good ending point. Okay, we're moving on. Um, Okay, remember, oh yes, okay, this is a long one. Um, The point of this one uh, was uh, essentially what happens when you die. Because essentially a a few messages ago, I said, you know, you actually, you go to sleep. Um, And so, hey, like, are you dead one day? And then you go to heaven, like, right away? Or how does that work? And then, Taylor, there's a lot of documentaries of people who have died and gone to heaven and described what they saw, and then they miraculously came back. And so how do you reconcile all that? Again, I can't reconcile all of it, but here's the bottom line. The bottom line is you get to go be with God, and that is really good. However, if you want to look at it from a straight, legit New Testament perspective on what happens when you die, it's pretty clear. It's clear in that you go to sleep. And you can read about that in a couple of different verses. You can take a picture of it and go read them at home. Um, I'll put up there the last one, Mark chapter 5, verse 39, which is Jesus talking. And Jesus had a mother whose child died. And Jesus looked at her and said, hey, why are you making a commotion and weeping? And she's looking at him like, well, aren't you rude? My child just died. And he said, your child's not dead. She's sleeping. She's sleeping. And why do we use this imagery of sleeping? Because what do sleeping people do? They wake up. And in Christianity, we believe that death is not permanent, but that one day we will wake up. So now there's two thoughts on this, right? We may die and be sleeping until Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead, or we may die and in this sleep be with Jesus, 
but then at some point return to our bodies when Jesus comes to redeem the heavens and the earth, okay? Irregardless, I don't know, but here's some thoughts to consider in this. Um, when you're sleeping, you don't realize the passage of time, so you're probably not going to realize it one way or the other, okay? Also, God exists outside of time, right? If, if logically and philosophically there is a God, God would have created time and therefore exists outside of time. So time for him doesn't work the same way that it does for us. Here's my suggestion, um, is that when I have gotten to know God and I read about God and, and I pray to God, I don't think God likes being apart from us, okay? He has gone to great lengths from a Christian perspective for us to come together. He has gone to such great lengths, he has come to earth and die for us so we can be together. And if you read stories like the prodigal son and you read um, uh, the story of the criminal on the cross, Jesus says what? Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, that could be like, hey, he's gonna die and he's not gonna realize and so he's gonna wake up one day and it's gonna be like, today's the day and it's like, yep, and we're here. I don't know but that God seems to go to great lengths to run to us, to come find us. And to me, that's the heart of a good parent is to want to be with their child. And so I'm not sure that my understanding of God would be that God says, hey, I'm just gonna live without you for a few thousand years and then we're gonna be together. Um, I think God's gonna want to be with us now. And yes, there are some really cool um, stories and documentaries of people who've gone to heaven, like a, a really um, one that got a ton of national attention is uh, Heaven is for Real, um, about a little boy in Nebraska um, who died and went to heaven and then came back. And if you read the book or you watch the movie, you're like, is that, is that like legit? I'm just telling you, you can watch the movie, but then actually read the book. Um, and by the end, you're like, that is, I just had chills. It, and I am a very like, uh, facts-orientated person. I don't like the whole wishy-washy kind of overtly spiritual stuff. I, I, I'm a little skeptical of that, even as a pastor. Um, but I'm just telling you, it is crazy. And then there's a whole thing with a picture at the end of Heaven is for Real about another gal in, who uh, apparently dreamed the face of Jesus and then painted it as an eight-year-old over in Illinois about two and a half hours from here. And the picture, it was like, I first saw it, I'm like, that is just mind-blowing. It's, it's really, really cool. It gives me goosebumps today. Um, but uh, I'm like, you know what? That's about the closest thing I can imagine Jesus looks like too. So there's some interesting things there. I'm not gonna say for or against it. I'm just gonna say you will be with God. And I would hope that that would be enough because I just hope like for my kids, like, you know, like I don't know where I will be all the time, but like, Kids, if, if we're just together, that's good enough. You know, whether we're in this home or another home or whatever, just being together is enough, okay? All right, last one. I think it's the last one. Hopefully it's the last one. Okay. Uh, oh, yes. In the first week, uh, you mentioned even your bully will be in heaven. I, I did say that. Um, it is a total guess, but do you end up dealing with people from heaven, earth and heaven if you don't, if, if you, even if you don't want to? Why would we need to deal with those we don't like <laughs> or toxic in heaven? <clears throat> totally makes sense. <clears throat> One correction I would suggest is that um, we uh, get to go, uh, we get to go to be with God. Remember, uh, we don't necessarily means we go to be with him. I should have left that drawing up here. Um, to be in heaven necessarily, but we get to be with him and that is heavenly. As far as the question goes, um, even your bully will be in heaven and why do we have to deal with those people, uh, for example? Um, remember, um, to go to be with God, there will be a judgment. 
okay? And we don't like that phrasing of judgment. I'm going to do a series of it next year. I'm like committing myself to doing it so we understand this big scary idea of like final judgment. You know, it's like, even with my voice, it sounds bad. Final judgment. Okay. Um, The point being is your bully uh, or your toxic friend or perhaps someone in your past who has hurt you and wronged you, and that's very... It could be a very, very painful thing. Um, they could be with God too. They could be with God too. Um, but to do that, they would need to know Jesus and they would need to be transformed by God's love. They would not be the bully that bullied you back in the day, right? Um, that would not be the person that would get or want to be with God, okay? But they would be someone that you may meet in heaven and they would meet you and ask for your forgiveness. They would meet you and you would be at a place hopefully transformed where you would be willing and able to forgive. There's actually a powerful story of this in C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, um, where uh, I think it's a husband and wife and um, the marriage did not end well, okay? And the wife is in heaven and the husband is not. And they try to reconcile. And the character, the main character in the story watches that reconciliation. And it's very painful, but very poignant to watch that reconciliation happen. But the bottom line is this, okay? I think God's heart, my experience with God is that God's heart is that he wants to be with you. Each and every one of you. That's what he wants, okay? And my guess is his heart wants and desires your high school bully to be with him, even though you may not, okay? Just as he desires and wants to be with each and every one of you. And I think the sign of Christian maturity is when we get to the place where we can look at those who have brought us harm and hurt us and see them as God loves them and our heart breaks. Our heart breaks because we know maybe the trajectory of their life is not one that will bring them to know and be with God. Because personally, I would not wish on my worst enemy, well, there might be exceptions, I'll have to think about it, but that, that they would not be with God. Because that would be a terrible place and that would break my heart. Not from a place of judgment over someone else, but from a place of love and compassion and sacrifice. Because that's the gift that God has given us, is that He wants to be with us. And so my hope and my prayer is that each of us on earth would desire heaven to be closer. We talked about that last week, right? And in heaven and in the place where God resides and being with God means that we get to a place where we get to um, see those, hopefully, that have also made that decision to be with God and that they would know God's love and you could celebrate that together. In other words, the place where there is no weeping, there is no gnashing of teeth, and a place where even the lion or the bully could lay right next to you safely and harmoniously with the lamb. And that is a good place. I don't know if literally there will be lions and lambs, but that's the point, the heart of what God is trying to get across to each and every one of us. And I think that's the hope that we get to have and the hope that we get to share out to the world is that there is this goodness that we are moving towards and that we are trying to every day usher in to our neighborhoods, to our families, to our communities, to our marriages, to our dating life, to our children. Because my gosh, I don't know, when you look 
at what's going on in this world, my hope would not be the end times are coming, but we would look at this world and say, we have to shine brighter. We have to be kinder. We have to forgive more deeply. We have to reconcile more uh, powerfully with one another. Because why? Because God has done that with us and we wanna share that. We want heaven to come to earth and so that the world would exist in peace and harmony. That's the end goal of our life now and that we can experience that in our life after death, okay? If you would, bow your heads, let's pray quick. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you uh, for you teaching us, you showing us that through authors that have lived over the span of thousands of years, we get to read about you. We get to read about what you've done. We get to read about how you've loved us and how you've walked with us and how we have avoided you and how we have made mistakes so that we may not make them again, so that we may get to know your heart and your personality. And we may get to know a God who doesn't just wanna put us in another place, but a God who just wants to be with us a God who does not want to be absent, but wants to be present. And that we would become people, help us to become people that would desire the same thing, to be with you and to love you and to know you. And with that, and when that happens, we would be transformed by your overwhelming and unending love. And we'd be inspired and encouraged by your spirit and transformed from the inside out so that when we interact in this broken world, we would bring a little bit of love and light to it. We would push back the chaos and the disorder, and we would rule not with an iron fist, but with an open hand of love and grace and kindness that this world so desperately needs. That is the answer to this infinite loop of death that we cause upon each other and harm that we bring to one another. It's someone who turns the other cheek someone who lays down their life for their friend, someone who sacrifices and gives so that others may live. That ends the broken cycle in our world, that ends the cycle of sin in our world. Lord, help us to be transformed so that that's what each and every one of us bring, that this is a church of community of people that are bringing that light and that goodness into the world so that heaven people can experience a little bit of slice of heaven on earth. And so that one, when one day comes, when you do return, that there is a place for us to reside that is brand new, that is a place that we have been working towards, and loving towards, and forgiving towards. And that is this beautiful new creation where we all get to live in harmony with one another. Lord, let heaven come to earth as your son taught us to pray, that your will would be done on heaven, in heaven, or on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, give us the strength and the wisdom to live that out. In your name I pray, amen.